So in our book, we talk about the federal boarding schools that were just for Native children. And by boarding schools, we mean that the U.S. government effectively rounded up a whole bunch of Native children, separated them from their parents, and often took them hundreds of miles away. And even more often, those kids never came home. If you haven't heard that story, which is fairly common, I should note, so don't feel bad if you haven't heard that story, given the erasure of the Native narrative in this country, then this episode is for you, because it's what we're discussing in today's episode. And the reason why we're doing these episodes is because white people, you keep asking us what you can do differently to be more anti-racist. So we're spending the summer going through things and topics in a bite-sized way so that we know the basics around the most commonly asked questions and issues around racism that we see in this country. And again, we'd like to emphasize that this is not a checklist. This is simply a primer. So if you want more, go buy our book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism, which is full of people's stories, real history, and action steps for you to take. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and Misasha. We've been best friends for 25 years, ever since we met as undergrads at Harvard. And now Misasha is a lawyer, is married to a black man, and has very mixed race boys the world sees as black. I am Sarah. I'm a life coach. I'm married to a white Canadian man, and I have two white presenting girls. And together, we help white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. Okay, so today our story begins on June 15th, 2021, because that's the day that Deb Holland, who is the first Native American woman to hold a cabinet office position in the U.S. government, she's Secretary of the Interior, commissioned the first ever report on the federal Indian boarding school system to examine the scope of the system with a focus on the location of schools, the burial sites, and the identification of children who attended those schools. So that was back in June of 2021, but the report that she commissioned was released this past April. And what it includes is shocking. You know, what's perhaps even more shocking, though, is that you probably never learned about any of this in schools. I know I didn't. And guess what? Your kids might not be learning about it either if you have kids in school today, right? So, okay, so high level, what does this report contain? Well, you know, this report shows that for the first time between 1819 and 1969, so doing the quick math, that's 150 years, the United States operated or supported 408 boarding schools across 37 states, or sometimes those were territories at the time, including 21 schools in Alaska and seven schools in Hawaii. This report identifies each of those schools by name and location, some of which operated across multiple sites. It further confirms that the United States directly targeted American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian children in the pursuit of a policy of cultural assimilation that just conveniently coincided with Indian territorial dispossession, or when the U.S. tried to take all of the Native Indian land. It identifies the federal Indian boarding schools that were used as a means for those ends, along with at least 53 burial sites for children across the system, with more site discoveries and data expected as they continue to investigate and conduct more research. So I want to just say, let's breathe, because what we're talking about is our federal government taking people's children away to schools, lying to them about it, trying to rid them of their culture and entire like familial history and oftentimes not letting those children return home ever again. Can you picture that, right? And remember, like, I know for me, like my dad was alive 
in this country during the latter part of those dates that you just mentioned, right? This is not ancient history. This is stuff that happens. And even worse, I just want you to have, like, listen to this with some empathy about your own kids, because the report highlights some of the conditions these children endured at the schools and really raises important questions about the short-term and long-term consequences of the federal Indian boarding school system on the Indian tribes, Alaskan natives, and the native Hawaiian community. Really importantly, this report gives historical context to the federal Indian boarding school system, right? It explains that the United States, United States established the system as part of a broader objective to dispossess Indian tribes, Alaska native villages, and the native Hawaiian community of their territories to support the expansion of the United States. The federal Indian boarding school policy was intentionally targeted, like you said, Misash, at American Indian, Alaska native, and native Hawaiian children to assimilate them and consequently take their territories. And let's just note you know, the historical context is important to understand the intent and scale of the boarding school system and why it lasted for 150 years. That is more than one generation, more than one presidency. That is more than a lot of time, 150 years. And if you're anything like the two of us, you still may not have heard about it or maybe more than in passing until now. So to understand where we are today, we want to really make sure you understand this. I know. Well, I keep thinking 1969, right? That was the first moon landing. That was Woodstock. That is very recent in our timeline of our country, right? And also, as you were talking about that, Sarah, I keep thinking about replacement theory, right? And the concept of, you know, assimilation and how this has been such a historically grounded concept in a lot of what our country has been based on and is clearly demonstrated through these federal boarding schools. So initial results from this report show that the earliest opening date of a federal Indian boarding school in the system was 1801, and the latest opening date was 1969. So latest opening date was 1969. The greatest concentration of schools in this boarding school system was in present-day Oklahoma, with 76 federal Indian boarding schools, which was 19% of the total. And I don't think that's surprising given what Oklahoma has represented in terms of native territory. Then after Oklahoma is Arizona with 47 schools, which is 12% of the total, and New Mexico with 43 schools, 11% of the total. And, you know, looking at this initial report too, it shows that approximately half or 50% of federal Indian boarding schools may have received support or involvement from a religious institution or organization, including funding, infrastructure, and personnel. So in other words, as the United States Senate has recognized, funds from this 1819 Civilization Fund quote, were apportioned among these societies and individuals, usually missionary organizations that had been prominent in the effort to, quote, civilize the Indians. So to recap, yes, the federal government at times paid religious institutions and organizations on a per capita basis for Indian children to enter the federal Indian boarding schools that these institutions and organizations operated. So how's that for separation of church and state? Oh, I guess that might not matter as much when we're talking, you know, when we're not talking about white children. My eye rolls are just like, and the jaw dropping. Right. But you can't hear them, hopefully, because that would be gross. But like, it's what's happening. <laughs> well, that would be a separate podcast episode. But, you know, so let's not forget, right, because you raised a good question 
when we were talking about this earlier, is that after 1871, Congress enacted laws to compel Indian parents, and we're using Indian to refer to Native American Indian parents, to send their children to school and to authorize the Secretary of the Interior to issue regulations to, quote, secure the enrollment and regular attendance of eligible Indian children who are wards of the government in schools maintained for their benefit by the United States or in public schools. So parents who refused to send their children to the schools could be legally imprisoned and deprived of resources such as food and clothing, which were scarce on reservations. And for example, under the Act of March 3rd, 1893, Congress authorized the Secretary of the Interior to withhold rations, including those guaranteed by treaties to Native families whose children did not attend schools. So they're withholding food unless you send your kids away right, with a big question mark after a way. And, you know, and, and there's a lot more here that we're not going to talk about on this podcast, but sometimes those laws were enforced by Native Indian police themselves, who, when the local chief would say there were no children eligible for boarding schools, because they think they knew children were leaving, not coming back, they would come in and forcibly remove children, causing some families to try and hide their children, even in places where there were mountains, going up into the mountains to trying to hide their kids. Hopefully that addresses anybody, because I've had at least one conversation where someone was like, no, 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 like the natives wanted to give their children to these schools because it was good for them. They weren't able to provide for them. Like, not true, not true, okay? Let's talk about what happens at the schools. Because once the native children sort of were coerced and arrived at the schools, the schools deployed systematic militarized and basically identity altering methods to attempt to really assimilate American Indian, Alaskan Native and Native Hawaiian children through education, education, air quoted, right? Including, but not limiting to things like this. One, renaming Indian children from Indian to English names, right? And we've talked, how many times have you all talked about, we all talked about the importance of our names. Two, cutting the hair of Indian children, right? Three, discouraging or preventing the use of American Indian, Alaskan Native, or Native Hawaiian languages, religions, and cultural practices. Basically, not allowing them to be honor their cultural heritage at all. And four, organizing Indian and Native Hawaiian children into units to perform military drills. Imagine your kids right now and all that makes them them and having that happen to them. On top of that, the federal Indian boarding school system really predominantly included manual labor of these children as part of the required school curriculum, including but not limited to stuff like livestock and poultry raising, taking care of the dairy cows, Western agricultural production, fertilizing, lumbering, brick making, cooking, making garments, irrigation systems, and working on the railroad system, right? If you think about what those things are, you might've guessed it, but the federal Indian boarding school system focused on manual labor and vocational skills that left its quote graduates with employment options often really irrelevant to the US economy. Right. Manual labor doesn't translate well into trade or college driven skills. And so that further disrupted the tribal economies. Federal Indian boarding school rules were often enforced through punishment, including corporal punishment like solitary confinement, which we have definitely discussed on this podcast before flogging, withholding food, whipping, slapping, cuffing. You know, also for anyone who's like, well, they did that at the Catholic schools. Yes, because guess what? The Catholic schools and some of these schools were obviously being paid to implement some of these uh, schools. So the federal Indian boarding school system at times made older Indian children punish the younger Indian children. Can you keep in mind that some of these kids were as young as four years old 
And maybe most tragically and heartbreakingly, the department's investigation has already identified marked or unmarked burial sites at about 53 different schools across the federal Indian boarding school system. And that's just a preliminary number. That is so tough to hear, right? And even tougher for the families who are affected. And, you know, the full report is 106 pages with a conclusion that basically states that further investigation is needed. So we're not going to go into all of it in more detail here, but I think that this point is really important. The author of this report, Brian Newland, who is the agency's assistant secretary for Indian Affairs, said that there is not a single American Indian, Alaskan Native, or Native Hawaiian in the country whose life has not been affected by the schools. And according to Mr. Newland, federal Indian boarding schools have had a lasting impact on Native people and the communities across America. That impact continues to influence the lives of countless families, from the breakup of families and tribal nations to the loss of languages and cultural practices and relatives. So in other words, while the boarding schools are now closed... What those boarding schools did for Native culture in this country or, you know, didn't do and effectively destroyed has lasting ramifications for generations, including ones that are not even born yet. So if this topic is totally new to you or makes you want to ask more questions, and we hope you fall into one of those categories at the very least, here's what we need you to do. Find out more. Read the full report. We'll link to it in the show notes. Because remember that there are still 574 federally recognized tribal nations in existence in the United States today. This is not ancient history. Ask those questions that come up from the report and follow news when it comes to the Native experience in this country. If you have kids or if you have anybody involved in the school system, see what's being taught in the kids' classrooms in your area. Find out what tribal lands you live on and what the history of that tribe is. Learn about land reparation efforts. Listen to our conversation with activist Crystal Echohawk of Illuminated. We'll link to that episode in the show notes. And in other words, don't let the story of these boarding schools or the subsequent effects of on Native families in this country be erased on your watch. You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and Misasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list. 